What's up, guys, and welcome to another episode of Speed Bumps with Austin Evans, where we learn from the mistakes and speed bumps of all areas of life, mental, friendships, relationships, fitness, business, whatever it may be. So super excited for today's episode. I have my first guest present. Um, this guy is a recovered addict that's 10 years plus clean. Almost 11. Almost 11. Uh, he's a successful business owner. He's a fisherman. He's a hunter. He's an all-around great dude, one of my best friends. So I'm super excited to have him. I've heard him tell his story before, and it's amazing. Uh, there's so much to take from it for, yeah, whether you're struggling with an addiction or just to implement into life. And so also I'm with him almost daily. Um, so he's been along the ride for my business journey for all these years. And, you know, I've been able to bounce thoughts off him and have a lot of thoughtful conversations like the things we talk about on this podcast. So anyways, without further ado, Jace Revere. What's up? So Jace, um, before we dive into the speed bumps that you faced and different stories and kind of what we're going to talk about today, I want you to share with the people honestly, the huge success that your business is now and what you're doing in life and kind of tell them who you are. Uh, I own a videography company. I do uh, video and photo and I started that. Well, we started together about oh, five years ago. Five, six years ago. Five yeah. or six. I think I've officially been in business for five years and started with just doing content for you. Mm-hmm. And then now I have four full-time clients um, that I do media for, and then different kind of one-up jobs, but I I'm, I'm, have the opportunity to travel and film some really cool stuff. And and ultimately do something that you enjoy and like. Like I love it. Like tell them where you are at a couple weeks ago for these races, like how cool that is. Uh, it's in Michigan City, and it's super cool because it's like stuff that you wouldn't normally just get to be a part of. And then sometimes, like, it is work, but at the at the end of the day, it's like I'll, I'll have to almost pinch myself and be like, oh, I'm, I'm actually working because like I'm, I'm getting really, paid. I'm getting paid to do something that like I really thoroughly enjoy. Yeah. And uh, I mean, even like the monotony of it, like editing and stuff like that. It's like when I walk away, like I'm never not doing something that I don't want to do. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So. So just to be clear, Jace does like media. So he does, you know, videography, um, grid so like images for branded images for companies and stuff like that he's got this one badass client it's like a top race team in boat racing in the country and he's around a crazy network lean of people. kitchen too yeah gets to work for lean kitchen growing so, yep gets the opportunity to go and travel to different places where they're opening up and get to meet new people so it's a lot of fun so getting to this point where you are you know rocking this successful business day-to-day enjoying life obviously you know, the biggest point of this whole speed bump episode is you're a recovered addict. So you're 10 years clean, um, 10, almost 11. Yeah. What date? Uh, August 24th. Kick ass. 2011. That's awesome. So, um, so obviously addiction, you know, I mean, gosh, I can't even begin to try to speak on it half as well as you, but it takes a hold of you and it was a major speed bump for you, I'd say. I mean, I was going to, I was thinking when I was making kind of some show notes here, I was like, okay, I want to talk about, like, you come out and talk about other speed bumps. Now you have other speed bumps, but this is the obvious one. Yeah, for sure. So I really want you to, like I said, I've heard you speak before. It's ridiculously awesome. Like, it's just a wild story. So if you would, and we can kind of talk through things, I really want you to dive into the pits of that and, like, take us back to the beginning. Take us to where your head was at, what your life was like. Um, You know, just, I mean, the wild shit that you were going through and, what you're doing. Well, it's pretty fitting that it's 
we're doing this now because like this is always like a time of reflection for me like this time of year because like I was we were talking about it the other day it's like I remember like mm-hmm. 11 years ago being dope sick sitting in a truck you know with no AC you know I'd pawned every physical possession that I owned and like was like literally a leech to the world you know like I just I always say I was a piece of shit with a face attached to it you know what I mean like I got just I was reduced to like the animalistic level of living like I could only operate if I was under the influence um and opiates was my drug of choice but like to take it back you know using for me wasn't always like bad you know like I don't think any any addict says to themselves hey I think I I just want to be a junkie you know right. what I mean? Like, it always starts off with something, you know, fun. But, like, looking back in hindsight, like, I always had a problem. Mm-hmm. Like, So, go back to go back to how it started. You're so in high school? It's probably sophomore year of high school, I think it was. Um, you know, being involved in sports, you know, I was a three-sport athlete. So, like, all the other guys, like, I looked up to, like, the seniors in high school. And, like, they were all partying and stuff like that. And, and I remember, like, the first time I ever had a drink of alcohol. Mm-hmm. And I remember, like, it was yesterday. It was Ice 101, and, like, these guys were drinking, and I thought it was so cool, mm-hmm. you know. And then from the, the first time I remember drinking, dude, I got blackout drunk. The first time? The first time, you know. Like, I, I just couldn't. But I, but in the moment, I'm like, oh, this is cool, you know, because, like, I felt. I always say, to go back even before that, like, I always say fantasy was my first drug of choice. Like, I always wasn't, like, 100% okay with who I was, like, mm-hmm. From the beginning. So, like, I would, I would, I remember, like, being young, and this sounds, like, kind of silly and cliche, but I remember, like, being able to close my eyes and, like, fantasize about being somebody who I wasn't, you know what I mean? Whether it was playing catch and, you know, thinking I was Derek Jeter or something like that. I was always trying to be, like, somebody else. It was almost like you were trying to manifest, but you weren't necessarily doing it in a manifesting fashion, or maybe it was just getting carried away in fantasy, like you said. Yeah. I mean, it was just like, to me, like looking back at it, it was like just a way to escape myself, like mm-hmm. that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember, you know, for the first time, like the alcohol made me feel good. You know, like it made me feel accepted. Um, I always say like I'm, I'm a big, I'm an introverted, I don't know how to say it. I mean, like an introverted extrovert. Yeah, like, same. I mean, I mean well, I'm, I don't know if I'm an introverted extrovert or an extrovert introvert. I don't know the difference. Right. But the point is I like my tight crew that i'm around yeah exactly other than and i can put on a face and do podcasts and whatnot but i really like my like being to myself I'm kind of a loner and i have a social limit yes. you know what i mean like i can be social to a point and then i just gotta bug out so did you back then you're at this party you're blackout drunk for the yeah, first time I did. Ever like with i was always homies. real shy like but i was a, i was a clown in the sense that like if i could make people laugh yes i like i felt a part of i can relate you know what i mean so like yeah. i was that guy at the party that was Shortly after that, I was doing cake stands, you know, and I was trying to be the, the life of the party so that people would laugh at me, and I would always do the stupid shit. Center of attention. Center of attention, and uh, I quickly became that guy that were like, man, let's get this guy out of here, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And, like, for the first year of me dabbling in, I guess, just mind-altering substances or chemicals, you know, alcohol was the deal for the first year, you know, and, like, my story is a story of justification, and rationalizing like what I could use. I, I told myself, me and my dad, um, my stepdad, who I call my dad, 
he early on he had like a bet with me in high school. He says, "Hey, if you can go through high school without using a minor mood altering chemical, alcohol, or drugs, because like mm-hmm. a um, what did they call that the um, drug free superstar yeah. or whatever," he goes, "I'll give you a thousand bucks when you graduate." And I'm like, "This is cool. Yeah, I'll do this." No easy, problem. You yeah. know, sophomore year, I'm drinking, you know, but like I always had a justification is like, well, at least I'm not those guys smoking weed. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like I always separated myself by being just a little bit like I had a huge lack of humility in a sense of like, at least I'm not those guys, mm-hmm. you know? And I remember junior year um, before prom smoking weed for the first time. And um, I really liked it, you know? And like to me, like, you know, like we've we've had our discussions about like, Teach their own. I'm not like people can't enjoy, you know, like I just, I'm uh, an unsuccessful drug and alcohol user. Like, but it's so, it's uh, so respectful and cool that you own that. Yeah. Just like, just like I, we talk, I mean, this is funny because we talk about it so often, but like, I don't drink. I don't judge people who drink. I don't care. I just don't drink. I don't like it. But you don't mind if we're friends and I choose to use marijuana, but that you just know that it's not for you. Right. Yeah. Well, and like so many people are like, you don't drink, you know, like you don't do anything. I'm like, no, I just, yeah. you know, and it's not that it's not even to the point now to where it's like, I can't cause I won't hundred mm-hmm. percent. I know that I can't, but it's not even that as much as it's, why would I, you know right. what I mean? I found so much peace and so much Success serenity and, yeah. outside of like, using minor mood altering chemicals that like why would I ever put that in jeopardy and go back to something that was like a living hell for me right like it didn't start that way you know and by the junior year you know it was fun up until you know fast forward to like when I first got into college like using wasn't a problem mm-hmm. per se like it wasn't evident in my life but it was one of those things where I hadn't really had anything like hit me square in the face that says oh this is a problem yeah it's kind of like anything though it's not a problem until it's a problem right like as obvious as that sounds yeah so like with you know i using for me like it was fun until there was consequence you know and i didn't really see my first consequence until uh senior year you know i was the life of the party and i would do stupid shit at parties and people would laugh and I would have fun, and I never thought that I had a problem. And I remember senior year, just before baseball season, I was at a party, and I was drinking, and I smoked some weed, and I was on my way home, and I got uh, MIP. We got stopped, and we had to dump all the beer out. But I got an MIP, and, like, I wasn't arrested, Mm -hmm. but I went home with a ticket. At this point, Jace, are you you drinking – and smoking weed and all that just socially on weekends and at parties? Are you doing it every day? Yeah, it's just socially on the weekends. So right now, like, I'm just trying to envision where you're at in life, and you're like a lot of high school kids at this point. You're getting trashed on the weekends and going through the weekdays normal. Right. You know, okay. just it's it's a fun thing to do on the weekends, mm-hmm. you know. And, um, and I remember that, and I remember that was that first moment, though, like where my, my story is a lot of, oh, I'm going to do things differently and then not following through with it. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is one of those first times because I remember telling my mom about it and I remember saying, I'm not going to do this anymore. It was that like that nuclear blast that I'll, I'll talk about through this entire story, like these different nuclear blasts. It's like, all right, man, I got to do things differently. But it was like that moment in time where I'm like, man, I don't want to do this because I got lucky that no, A, no one found out about it. 
I was able to do a diversion program to where uh, it didn't go on my record at all. The school didn't find out about it, so I was able to play baseball still. So this ended up being like it was going to be a consequence, but it really wasn't. It really wasn't at all, you know. And then I remember, dude, it didn't last long at all. Prom was like three or four weeks later, and, you know, I got blackout, you know, drunk and stoned and don't remember any of it, you know. But that was a lot of, like, the times that I used, like, your drink, you know, and and smoked, like, that's what happened, you Mm -hmm. know. Um, but looking back, like, I can vividly remember, like, thinking, like, I didn't have a problem, you know. And I remember graduating high school, and I don't remember exactly what what time of the year it was. I know it was shortly after graduation, but there was a big party. And I've shared this story with you, but I got crazy messed up, you mm-hmm. know. Like, I was the guy that would do stupid stuff to, like, for attention, like Bong and Mad Dog 2020s was a big thing back then. Bong and Mad, Mad Dog 2020s. <laughs> you don't even know what it is. Do you remember is. Mad Dog? No. Oh, man, maybe it was before your time. Is it like, like whiskey or what? It's like a – it was like a fruity drink, but it was like 20% alcohol. So it was like way harder than a beer, but like not as hard as like a vodka or something like that. Interesting, okay. And like I was gone. And I remember like my buddy – at the time, who I used to always stay at his house, he went home, and I got a ride home. I, I didn't drive to the party, but for some reason, I wanted some McDonald's. Hell yeah, brother. Yeah. Mad Dog wants the McDonald's. Yeah. So I don't remember a whole lot of this. I just remember bits and pieces. I remember, like, having my hand on, like, my – I had a five-speed 93 Ford Rangers. Mm-hmm. Do you remember? Do you ever remember me driving that? It was teal green purple stripe down the side i remember did you still have it when you got clean yeah and you come to the gym and that's when we first met yeah yeah okay okay so you're driving that truck yeah and i remember like my head slouched over to the side Mm -hmm. and like i remember bits and pieces of like only being able to see the road with like my left eye up over the dash Mm -hmm. and i remember pulling into the to mcdonald's and i ordered um a shitload of food and i think i realized i didn't have my wallet Mm -hmm. And I went and put it in reverse, and I backed up straight into a cop. Oh, man. And uh, Got your first Dewey. Yeah, and got my first DWI, and I remember, like, my mom being so embarrassed. But, like, that was another one of those, like, wake-up calls. But, like, I never thought I had a problem. Like, I immediately, I got an SIS, you know, and, and, and calmed down, you know, and I was like, okay, I got to focus, you know. And um, I had a hope of playing baseball in college. You know, I had an opportunity to go to Highland and I decided, you know, I had the best intentions of like, I'm going to try to go walk on in Missouri Western, mm-hmm. you know? And, and at the time I won't mention a whole lot of details of this, but I had a buddy that worked somewhere that had the ability to get this, this drug that is given to animals. Mm-hmm. It's an opioid antagonist. Um, it's tramadol. I was, I've heard of that. Okay. So, um, this was probably, I had two knee surgeries in high school. So, like, I remember taking, like, one and a half, two pills, like, when I had my surgery and feeling, like, loopy. And, like, that was, like, the first time I was ever introduced to, like, a pill high. Mm -hmm. But, like, when I started using Tramadol, when I went to college that first year, I said to myself I wasn't going to drink anymore because alcohol, like, appeared to be a problem. Like, you've had an MIP, you've had a DWI, people can't stand. Like, I, I love to, like argue with people and scrap and mm-hmm. be the the, the some, badass, the badass guy that yeah. wanted to pick a bunch of fights like I was a jackass yeah. and uh, so like I noticed like I started smoking weed a lot 
And then I was introduced to this drug called tramadol, which is a mild painkiller that's given to like animals and humans, but it's a, it's mild, but taken in high quantities, um, got you high. <clears throat> and I remember like I had endless supply of this. So like there was no like consequence mm-hmm. as far as ever like going through withdrawal or anything, because like I was literally always, you had plenty, I had plenty of it, you know? And like, I noticed that my tolerance began to like climb and, you know, I was taking anywhere from 10 to 15 a day, and then it got up to where I was taking 20 to 30 a day. Holy shit. So are you just, you're blasted every day, all day? Yeah, every day, all day. But I had a bunch of energy, you know? Like, um, I remember that first semester, I think I didn't, I finished with like a, a C. And like, mind you, like I had like every opportunity given to me. Like I, I was blessed with a man that was like not a part of my family that was willing to pay for my entire schooling as long as I held a certain grade point average and um, I was on, put on academic suspension, you know, and that whole entire year, you know, like it was um, a process, that year was a process of, that was, would have been 2006 going into 2007. So that whole tramadol and, and smoking weed thing lasted for two years. And throughout that process, um, I was put on academic probation then academic suspension, then went back to Missouri Western to get put on academic suspension again. Mm-hmm. And then, so 2009 to 2010, um, would have been 2008, actually. Um, so this is that whole process, like, where my buddy, who I had to connect with that, started not to. Well, mind you, like... To backtrack, my mom was in a horse and buggy wreck with my little brother when she was pregnant, like, years and years ago. Mm-hmm. And she broke something in her back and, like, her collarbone. So, like, she had started going to the, to the pain clinic to get um, pain medication. It started off with, like, lower tab 7.5s or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, and she didn't know, like, that I had a problem because I hid it from everybody. Like, so I was. Did nobody really know at all? No, not at all. Because so, I was really good at being that that individual on one side to this crowd, and then, you know, the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Yeah. Like, I was really good at being a chameleon, I guess you could say, or just being fake. And are you at this point? I mean, if you can remember this, does this does it ever go through your head at this point of, shit, I have a problem? Or are you like, I'm good. I'm just, I like this. You know, like, I, I think denial was, like, at its biggest in my life. Like, it was, the denial was so big and, like, the lack of humility as far as, like, I'm still, I hadn't quite yet seen the unmanageability mm-hmm. in my life, you know, because, like, I thought I still had some control. Yeah. You know, I still held a job, you know, and I was working at Champs and Lids and mm-hmm. it wasn't, like, to that point yet. You know, I had a girlfriend at the time who didn't use drugs, who, did she know good you were in school? Using? No. You know, she thought I just wow. partied every once in a while. You know, so like that was like a huge chameleon in, in a yeah. sense that like I had certain friends that I went and hung out with that I popped pills with and smoked weed. And then your friends that you didn't, but you were still popping pills and smoking weed. They just didn't know. Yeah, they just didn't know. You wow. know, so like I, it was, that's when it like it almost came, became a full time job to conceal it, you know, because mm-hmm. I was never okay with it. Um, but like I, I couldn't not do it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's hard to describe, like, you know, like, you know, in the program that I work now, I call it, we call it, like, in being in the grip. Like, man, it had me a lot, 
a long time before I ever thought that, that I had a problem. Like mm-hmm. it was just a process of, um, like it's insidious, you know, but like the, the definition for insidious is gradual yet unseemingly noticeable, but with grave effect. So it's like little Spot by on. little by little by little by little. So unnoticed. Like I always used to use the example whenever I was a counselor, like if take a dry erase marker and like I draw the smallest tiny dot on there and I ask you to leave the room and come back, you're not going to notice that dot. But if, you know, every day for two years I put dots mm-hmm. on that board and you come back in two years, it's going to be covered with dots and it's going to be like, oh, shit, obvious. like it's obvious. But, like, it's so minuscule at the time that, like, you just don't notice the change. Yeah, that's a crazy you know? metaphor, yeah. So, like, that's how that's just kind of how it played out, you know. And, and once I stopped using the tramadol and I had two knee surgeries in high school and I broke an ankle and I got prescribed some Lortab. And um, I remember, I remember like, con- like eating the entire bottle in like three days. Shit. And then you're talking, go ahead. You were talking about your mom. Yeah, yeah. So like I hadn't started stealing from my mom yet, but that's just kind of a precursor for like what, what is to come, you know, like as I go through this process. But like I, I went through that and I remember calling the doctor and getting like, they gave me like seven or eight refills before they were finally like, hey, dude, you broke your ankle. You don't, you're not in pain. Yeah. You know, like this, this dude's obviously abusing them. And that was the first time whenever they stopped giving me those, that was the first time that like I really went through, I guess, an opiate withdrawal, mm-hmm. you know, and um, <clears throat> that was in 2008. And I remember that because when that happened, um, I had started taking them for my mom. You know, and she had like, at that time it was like oxycodone 10s, like mm-hmm. the, the Percocets, you know, and I would steal them from her and then I would also buy them on the street. And I remember not having them for a little bit and I remember for the first time like going through a withdrawal. Mm-hmm. And like, it's just like a miserable like flu bug, like body aches and like this overwhelming sense of like needing to get something, you know, and... um and I remember, like, the whole justification thing with me is, like, one of the things I said I would never do is, well, I said I would never smoke weed, right, because weed smokers were losers. That's how I justified the drinking. And then I started smoking weed, and I was like, at least I don't pop pills, you know. And then started popping pills, and then I started doing, like, minor justifications, like, well, I, I eat the pills, you know, and, like, I have my name on a prescription, so I have pain. Uh, I don't snort them, you know. And in 2008, I was introduced to Oxycontin, you know, and this is the year before, like, the big Purdue, like, have you seen, like, the the pharmacists and stuff on um, Netflix? I think, I, I, I know I've, like, rolled by, but I don't think so I've So, like, Purdue it. Medical was the, the they, they created the Oxycontin, you know, and it was in, like, an extended release to where you could literally peel it back and crush it up, and it was 100% like synthetic heroin. Really? Yeah, it's just straight. Because it's an extended pill that they give to, like, cancer patient, patients and, like, people with extreme pain mm-hmm. that works for, like, over a period of, like, two to three days with the extended release film on it. But you peel that off. And you got straight Yeah, H. you know, and pretty much, you know. So, yeah. like, and, like, that was one thing that I said I would never do is, like, heroin. You know what I mean? But like, That's a hard drug. In I'm the hungry. grand scheme of things, it's it's pretty identical in a, in a sense of, you know, like what it is and what it does to your body. 
Um, so like I remember going and um, I mean, I'll never forget it. it was a basketball game and a, a buddy of mine said, "Hey man, you should try this." And I was like, "All right." He goes, "You gotta snort it though." You know, and it was Oxycontin. And I remember it was an Oxycontin 40, and I split it in half. And, like, dude, it gave me a high that I've never felt before. And in my mind, I was like, man, this is so cool. But at the same time, like, that was like the – looking back at it, even in the moment, I said to myself, man, this is going to be a problem. Mm. You know, and for – That's so crazy to hear. Yeah, and, like – and then, you know, and throughout the – it's crazy. It's like throughout the process of my addiction, like my mom's tolerance, she's not an addict – but anybody who takes pain medication, like your body creates a tolerance to it. So it's like what worked six months ago for your pain level is not going to work, you know, six months from now because mm-hmm. you're, you know, we talked about it the other day. It's just like your body's going to want more mm-hmm. to take away the same pain that it had, you know, six months ago. Mm-hmm. And what's crazy about opiates is like it like it like brings about pain. I feel like when you don't have it, like when your body starts withdrawing from it, like the, the back pain that I used to have, like when I would be dope sick would be intense. And at this point I didn't view it as dope, dude. I just viewed it as like, I'm getting high, you know, like I didn't really look at it like as I had a problem, you know? So that was 2009 going into 2010 when I did Oxycontin for an entire year. And like, I was really starting to feel the opiate withdrawal. Um, I was completely dropped out of college and you working anywhere yeah i'm working like i was doing lids i think and then um trying to think i was painting Mm -hmm. um i was painting at that time and then i remember that summer of 2010 it got really really bad and i said to myself i got a problem you know and i remember going to my mom and the girlfriend at the time and saying hey you know but I like. Did they still not know about this? <clears throat> no shit. So you're three, four years in doing this. Yeah. And nobody knows it's a problem. Nobody knows it's a problem. Well, Dad, you, know? you so your so your mom's tolerance has gone up. I know one time when see this is crazy because I've heard Jay speak into, before, but I've I'm still learning stuff that I didn't. So I'll get into the, like the part like I've told you about like where I was stealing stuff okay. from her. Like that's when that was like the last like eleven months that I got high. Okay. Uh, but like I had started stealing from her at that time and. She had started to notice, but, like, I was always, like, the trusted, like, I was always... You're convincing. I was, yeah, I was always, like, it's got to be my younger brother or my older brother. You know, it's not me. Yeah. I'm not doing it. So, it's, like, I remember going to her, and it was September, and I remember saying, hey, I got a problem, you know? And, like, I I never took ownership 100%, like, oh, I'm, this is what I'm doing. Like, it was, like, to the girlfriend at the time, it was, like... Oh, I had surgeries and I got hooked on it, uh-huh. you know, and, and like, I just played it off like, Hey, this is what happened. And to my mom, like she kind of knew, like I had developed a problem a little bit. What's going, sorry, what's going through your head? Why are you going to these people saying I have a problem? Are you like thinking like you're realizing it and you I can't fix stop. it? Yeah. You know, like so I, you really wanted to <clears throat> fix it. Yeah. I had I me mean, in my mind, in the back of my mind, I wanted to fix it. I just didn't quite know what it would take. Uh-huh. You know, like I know that. I couldn't stop. Mm-hmm. You know, it was one of those things where, you know, if you're doing something that's bad for you and you say, okay, this is becoming a problem, most people can be like, all right, I'm going to stop doing that. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, shit, this stove is hot. I better not touch it. Like, mm-hmm. I couldn't stop. I couldn't do that, you know. Like, I would be dope sick the next day and then end up going and, and getting high, even though I told myself I wasn't going to. Like, 
complete opposite. And of every time I, was the last time. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's a speaker I love that I follow. He goes, if all I needed was another one, then why did I need another one? It's like I always just needed another one, yeah. you know. And um, he, uh, I remember, I remember going to, I went to Valley Hope. 2010 I went to my mom and to the girlfriend at the time and I was like hey I I have a problem and I think this is the only way I can 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 get it I I need to get away from it you know I I need help but it wasn't almost like help I just like I need to get away from these people Mm -hmm. um and I need to get some time away so that I can just have some separation you know and I and I remember going into treatment and I remember having like sitting down like we're sitting down right now and having uh, meeting with the counselor and they're saying so what drugs have you done and and all kinds of like this and <clears throat> they're like have you ever used it intravenously have you, know, have you ever used needles and i was like absolutely not i would never do that i'm not a drug addict it, pretty much yeah like i'm, I'm not on junk, pills but i'm not, I'm not a junkie, junkie. Yeah. yeah i mean that was that was my attitude mm-hmm. you know especially looking back at it and i remember k2 i don't know if you remember yeah, K2. synthetic weed so like it was huge at that time but they had just made it illegal in kansas so Valley Hope is in Atchison, Kansas. So like all you had to do is cross the river to get in Missouri, and they sold it at this gas station. And I got high on day 10 of treatment. While you're in? While I'm in treatment. Oh, you're in a 30-day deal? Yeah, it was a 30-day. And I remember I remember the battle in my head. Like I remember it vividly saying to myself, just don't do it, dude. Like you're here for a reason. You know, I had a moment. I had, I had 10 days of clarity begin to come back to where I'm like, all right, I'm feeling better. I you're got, not dope sick at this point? Yeah, I'd gotten over the withdrawal. And, you know, things were going well. And then I remember smoking it and being like the first thing I did was like I was overwhelmed with guilt and shame. And I told the counselor that I had done it, you know, and um, of course they want to know who all did it. I'm like, that's not the concern. I did it. Well, they were like, you can still stay. And I remember calling my mom and say, hey, I can't get clean around these people. Mm-hmm. Come get me. The people at the, at at the, the Hope, Valley Hope. Yeah. And I remember saying, come get me. And I remember even then, like, I was always able to fool my mom, you know. And to no fault her own, like, she was my biggest co-signer of my bullshit, like, mm-hmm. as far as. But it was out of love, you know what I mean? Like, um, I mean, that's what a lot of people do when they love people, though, is they end up enabling them. Yeah, absolutely. I don't care if it's money troubles, if it's drugs, if it's whatever right. it is. Like, you Parents, a lot of times, they love their kid, and they continue to enable and enable and enable. because they, they don't want even to be know friend. they're doing it. They don't have no, it's, yeah, I shouldn't say they want to be a friend. Right. They don't even know they're doing it. They yeah. think they're doing something right. Yeah. So, like, I remember going home, and, and I told them this big plan. Like, I'm going to do out, online outpatient treatment. You know, like. Well, knowing damn well I'm getting high. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I think I stayed clean for, like, I think I remember keeping track, and it was, like, 18 days. And at this point, through this process, <clears throat> my mom had gotten prescribed. This was 2010. Um, I think it was the early part of September. Um, I remember she was prescribed Roxyset 15s, which is instant release oxycodone. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I had started snorting them before I went in, you know, because I was snorting oxycodone and then I would steal her pills and I would snort them. And I remember 18 days afterwards, I was feeling good. Like I was going to some meetings, um, you know, but like, what's crazy is like one of the, the most instrumental people in my life I met 
11 years ago at a meeting and they <clears throat> they shared to me like I was talking to with them and they're like man you're the biggest bullshitter that I know you know what I mean like so for the first time like I had met somebody that could see right through like what I was doing you know it's like mm-hmm. you know do bullshit see bullshit type thing like yeah. where like I couldn't fool this individual and like he called me out and like I immediately separated from him. like I'm not going to do this I'm not going to go to meetings anymore I'm not going to because you know, the guy had you pegged. Yeah, you know, and he was doing it out of love, and like knowing, looking back, like he was doing one hundred percent out of love. Like, hey, man, I see right through you. Like, and it was exactly what you needed. Yeah, it was. Yeah, hundred percent. And I remember, like eighteen, you know, eighteen days clean. I, I went downstairs, and in my mom's room, there was a half of a, a pill on the top of her dresser. And I remember, I remember like having this like spiritual warfare of like, I think I can, I think I can do it just once, just one time, and not do it again. Oh, I mean, you're 18 days. 18 days, and I'm like, Shit. you know, and at the time, like the girlfriend had, had had forgiven me, and like I had this like restart, like this opportunity to do things differently. Uh-huh. And I remember, um, that was like the pill that I did that almost killed me. Not like in a sense of like overdosing on that pill, but like that was the start of like getting sucked back in. a living hell for me. Because like, mind you, like other than rehab and and um, people being disappointed, I hadn't really lost anything like of monetary value. I mean, I've lost a lot, like my sanity. I felt like and you know, three semesters of school and letting people down and where I was in my future or my current life compared to where I wanted to be in my future. But I remember doing that and like it was off to the races, dude. And I remember I, I went 100%. I started stealing pills from my mom like crazy. Um, so much to where like she started hiding them and um, started carrying them on her and like it's crazy to think because these are the stories I would tell you, but like I look back at it and I'm really disappointed. Like I get really disappointed in myself in a sense of like, I would like my daily task was to plot out against my mom. This is crazy Mm -hmm. to plot out against my mom, like how I could get her pills. Yeah. Like that was, she's taking them for pain dominated by that hundred percent, you know, like the obsession to just, this shit's crazy right yeah here. to do it and and I remember like I would wake up and that would be my whole plot because she was she got she knew they were being taken you know and, and at she, this and, point and, in the back of her mind she knew it was me I was gonna say but she if she enabled she was like trying to keep them away from in you in her still. heart she wished that she like she I think she was wishing more that it wasn't me yeah you know and I remember that I remember she said go get this go buy this safe and so she went and bought this um, the small like fire retardant cases that like with a key, mm-hmm. right? And I remember that she would keep her pills in there, and I remember like she hid the keys and like this is the I was making my mom think she was crazy, dude, because I I learned how to pick that lock with a bobby pin in the first day that she had it. No, you know, so like they would be downstairs watching TV, and I would lightly walk down the stairs and I would crawl in and I would take pills out of her, you know, pill bottle, which got really bad because then 
then she's like, there's no way they're being taken, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, she started to think that, like, she was, like, I drove her to the point where she thought she was crazy to where, like, she's taking, you know, all these pills and and she's, doesn't know what happened, you know? And, like, in the back of her mind, she knows it's me, but, like, she doesn't want to fully accept it. It's, like, the same level of acceptance with me, like, admitting that I'm an, an addict, you know, mm-hmm. that I'm a junkie, and her admitting that her son has a problem, mm-hmm. you know? And then it got to the point where she's like, okay, I know somebody's getting into this. So they went and bought this giant electronic safe, dude. With and, a keypad, right? With a keypad. And this is like the, probably one of the most like screwed up shit that I've ever done with the intentions that I had. You know, like I remember I've shared this story with you, but like mm-hmm. I'll share it. You know, like this, and I don't share this to like gloat or, you know, it just kind of, it, it's, it was like really to show how sick I was and like how in control like the drugs were and the addiction was over me. Mm-hmm. Like I thought I was in control, but like it was completely opposite. Mm-hmm. You know, and I remember I was going through dope withdrawal and at this time like I was still going out and at, the, at this point like Purdue they stopped making oxycotton like that. And so you know, I would get lower tabs and stuff on the on the street and, and smoke weed, but, like, I would be dope sick every day. And so I was really relying on, like, getting the pills from my mom, mm-hmm. you know, without her knowing it. And I remember I took a, oh, a black light highlighter, and I covered over the keypad, you know, and I got, I was able to get, like, the, the... You picked up the fingerprints. Yeah, the fingerprints, but I was able to see, like, which one she was rubbing off. So I knew which four numbers were... And then I remember taking my phone and hooking it up to where, like, I could see her. And I, I could never really see over her shoulder, but I could see kind of the direction that she was pointing her fingers. And I remember one time, <clears throat> this is probably October. And, dude, like, I got really bad. Like, this is all in the course of, like, a month and a half after I got out of rehab. This is since that one half pill when you yeah, walked back like in I on went day 18. straight to the races, you yeah. know. And I remember, I remember the day that I unlocked that safe. And I... You know, like I could never figure it out because I couldn't see the combination because of her shoulder. But I knew the combination. You knew the four. I knew you the, just didn't. Yeah. And you knew sort of the order. Yeah, and I knew I knew like there was five. You mm-hmm. know, it was beep 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 beep, and then a check mark. Uh-huh. I could see the check mark. You know, and I remember they were outside doing something. It was fall. It's all you're thinking about all day, every day. Is yeah, what the hell's and that like they were outside doing some leaves or something. And I remember I I went down and like I hear this. I go beep 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 clunk. I'm like, oh, shit. I just unlocked it. You feel like you just opened the door to Fort Knox. Yeah, like in my mind, though, I remember this feeling in my mind. It was like, part of me was like, oh, my gosh, here we go. This is awesome. Uh And the other part of me was like, oh, shit, dude, I'm in trouble. Wow. You know, because she's never going to think that someone's getting into her, like, this safe. You know what I mean? And, you know, so for the next probably month, like, at this point, she's prescribed 30 milligrams. Mm-hmm. And, like, I remember for probably three weeks straight being able to take as many as I want. You know, the thing is, is, like, I tried to be respectful as possible to my mom while I'm taking these. I got to leave her some, you know what I mean? But, <laughs> she but, needs something for the yeah, pain. Yeah, but at the end of the day, I'm, like, ended up taking, like, she's prescribed 120 pills a month, and I was taking, like, 90 from her. Holy shit. You know, so, like, she knows they're being taken. You know, and at that point, she started keeping them on her, and I started going through withdrawal really, really bad, mm-hmm. you know. And I remember being dope sick, and, and, and I was snorting them at this time, and one of the things I said I would never, ever do 
and like it was what like made in my mind think that it was okay for me to snort them and, and pop them and do all that. It's like I said, I would never shoot up. Like I was afraid of needles. I'm not going to do it. And I remember I remember hitting up this kid and asking him, what is the one of the people I would get pills from? I remember asking him, hey, man, is there anything out there? And he's like, no, I, I can get a hold of these, but the only way you can do these is if you shoot them up. And what's crazy is it's sad. This the the kid that I actually got high from for the first time. He died from an overdose, and um, but a lot of people I knew back then have. It's just unfortunately, you know, it's the grip. You know, like I mean, there's no like positive way out of this thing other than just completely doing something different. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I remember the first time that I ever got high. Um, you know, he got me high and. High off needle. Yeah, and it was dilated. And I remember, which is like hydromorphone. Um, and I remember the rush, and I remember everything about it, like feeling like the same feeling I had when I unlocked that safe. Like, this is so cool, mm-hmm. but holy shit, I'm, I'm in, in trouble. trouble. And, uh, you know, for the next nine months, like, I lost it. I mean, I lost everything, you know. I couldn't stop. Like, I, I mean, it was really off to the races, you know. Like, I learned how to do it by myself real fast. <clears throat> and I um, I didn't have the money to do it. I was working at Lids, and I was working for a janitorial company at the time, you know. So I was working, like, 60 hours a week, and my money was gone in three days. All of it's going to this. All of it's going. And, you know, I get paid every two weeks, so... You know, for the next 10 days, how am I going to get high? You're stealing shit and bonding it. So, like, dude, there's things, and I still, there's still some things that, like, I really, like, carry some guilt for. Like, there's some family heirlooms that, like, I pawned, you know. Like, luckily, like, my my grandma um, had a Martin guitar that I pawned, and luckily, we you know, we got that back. But, like, I'm talking, I grew up hunting and fishing, bow and arrow fishing rods, uh, guns, you know, like, I've pawned every single physical possession that I owned and shit that wasn't mine, you know, and, um, and like, I don't know how I never got, like, caught, you know. Like, shouldn't the pawn shop say, yeah, you something's know, up here? Right, but, you know, I went to different pawn shops, like, I thought I was smart, you know, but, and part of you almost wonders is, like, at the end of the day, they're taking an ID, so, like, mm-hmm. it's money, right. you know, um, you'd like to think that they do, but. It's one of those things where, like, if there was ever a time in my life where there was evidence of a problem, like, it was then. Mm -hmm. And I remember going through that final year. um, So this would have been 2010 into 2011. And I remember, like, that's why I always say, like, this time of year. I feel kind of off this time of year, every year. And I don't know if it's just because my mind is, like, reflecting, like, subconsciously. But, like, I remember... <clears throat> the last like two months like I really wanted to die you know and like I would really try to do as much as I could because like I didn't have the balls to kill myself I guess you could say like I was really scared mm-hmm. in a sense of like doing that but like I got to the point to where I didn't care how much I did you know and um, I overdosed twice and it wasn't one of those you know like, it wasn't one of the overdoses where someone found me. Like, I don't know how I woke up, mm-hmm. you know. Because uh, like, I could have very easily died. But I woke up with foam all over my mouth and and 
you know, like I blacked out and didn't even remember it. Um, so like, I really like when I say like, uh, I'm alive by the grace of God. Like I, I'm a hundred percent believe like that there was just something, not that like anybody who is unfortunately passed from this, like wasn't, you know what I mean? But like, I got lucky, mm-hmm. you know, and I got, um, but I remember like that feeling and I remember my mom had found out, I mean, she knew that I was, I mean, I was 163 pounds soaking wet. Like I'm 205 now. And you're working your ass off and all your money's gone. Yeah, gone. And, but at this point I had quit that job. Like I was doing nothing. Like it was at this point, like I was, I was a junkie. Didn't you tell me, so I, I just like, obviously everything you're saying gets us to the mindset you were in, but didn't you say before that you, you, you described yourself as a hermit crab to me. You said you would go home, you'd go get your drugs, yeah. you'd come home, and you'd go down to your room? Or well, like- I, would, I, would, I would either get high in the bathroom, because at this point, you know, the last three months, like at this point, I couldn't stay in the bathroom for longer than five minutes without my mom or dad coming and knocking on the door. Um, so, like, I would either have to get high in my truck, or I would go into my room and make sure no one else was around, you know, or act like I was taking a shit so I could get high, you know what I mean? Like... And, yeah, I wouldn't move, you know what I mean? Like, I always joke around, but, you know, the sh- I, I burn notice the show that I tell you I fall asleep to. Like, uh-huh. that's what I used to do is get high, and I would play that show. Uh-huh. But, like, I wouldn't watch the show. I'd just close my eyes and just... It was the background. Yeah, it was just background noise. But that's all I did. And I remember, I'll never forget it. This I think this is, like, a one of the pivotal points where it kind of edged me closer to wanting to do something different. Cause I didn't know how to stop, dude. If I wanted, if I knew how to stop, I would have stopped a long time ago. Like I knew there was a problem long before it. And like a lot of this stuff, I honestly like forgot about until we start talking about right. it. You know, I think I, that's how a lot of things from people's past is, though. Yeah, that, I think so. like like you you don't want to remember the negative shit, right? But then once you get into talking about it, I mean that's how it's been even for me with the podcast with random things. It's like once you get into talking about it, it takes you right back. Yeah, and you don't want to stay there. No, and like that's why I told you earlier. Like I don't like. You know, like, because telling my story in this fashion is kind of a sense of, like, really talking about the speed bump itself. Mm-hmm. And, like, we'll get to, like, where I'm at today. You know what I mean? But, like, you know, when I share my story now, I share just a little bit of the war story. Because most of the time I'm sharing to people who have a certain level of empathy. Like, I need to say no more than I'm Jace, I'm an addict. And they already know this some shit's been fucked up down the road. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I don't need to tell them the drug of choice, which, you know, like, none of that. Like Those they, people get it. They, they get it, you know what yeah. I mean? And the, in the same sense with that, it's like, they, they completely understand where I'm coming from. But, like, when... You, it's kind of tough sometimes when you realize, like, just how much of a piece of shit you were. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, mean, I mean, like we're it, talking about crazy shit. That right now, one thing I've thought this whole time is like, if people don't know you now, like I, I felt like intervening this. I'm just going to just because of hell. Yeah. As I said at the beginning, like this guy is uh, like your whole story makes where you are now that much more remarkable. Because if the, if people met you now, if you're listening, you have no idea who Jace is. I mean, dude, you got. I'll, I'm gonna say this stuff. You're not gonna toot your own horn, so toot, toot. I'll toot it for you. You have a badass truck. You got this badass boat. You're a fisherman. You're you're uh, you hunt. You got this sick business. You're you're your own boss. You're and more than that. That's the material things. That's your life now. But like, 
you're a super good dude. Like you're you're one of the most loyal people I know. You're you're super um, in tune with yourself when it comes to just overall self awareness, knowing what you're not good at, knowing what you're good at, leaning into what you should, and and like you have discipline. You you take. I think, man, honestly, and I, I I'm. I know a lot of people that have this, the ability to take ownership for things, but I think due to all of this story, you take ownership of things more than like anybody I know. It's it's wild. Sometimes it takes a little bit, but I always got to get back there. <laughs> well, I feel like yeah, you, you'll like in our, I mean, like when we're giving each other shit. We're giving each other we give shit, each other shit on a whole like, other level that nobody dude, else. Dude, you does. took it way too fucking far, and you're like, no, I didn't. And you come back, and you're like, all right, man, I did. And the same with me. Yeah. But, I don't know. I just I, I I feel like intervening that because we do. We sit here and we talk about this story, and it's like, damn, dude. Yeah. Trash. Like mm-hmm. when in reality, that's like, yeah, you were in the grip, and now you're this. Like a hundred percent doesn't even right. do justice. It's this hundred percent different, dude. You're one eighty. Yeah. So, anyways, hundred percent. Well, it, war story is almost over. Um, I just remember one of the... I got to say one more thing. What's up? It's a story you've told me before, and I don't know if you're going to touch on it, but since we've gone this deep, I got to say it. Okay. I find it unreal that you had your you you had it down to a science how much gas you needed. Oh, yeah. In your vehicle. Do you tell that? Because you're yeah. going to tell it better than me. Well, I mean, so like say I would get 75 bucks to get high for whatever, however long it's going to get me high. Mm-hmm. Um course gas prices were a different story back then <laughs> right you know but like say gas price is like a dollar 88 you know i would calculate man i gotta go 12 miles <laughs> to the dope house and then i'm gonna run by the gas station make sure i get a can of chew um so that was another two dollars and 35 cents so i told myself i got 71 dollars to spend on dope and i got a dollar 88 to put one gallon of gas because i'm gonna travel 30 miles and i remember i would all most of the time, I would I would be rolling into my driveway on fumes, to where like I would make the corner into my my parents' driveway, and my truck would start to, to putter, to, to putter, oh making that corner. God. And then when I had to go somewhere again to get to the gas station, I would steal dad uh, gas from my dad's gas can for his lawnmower. Yeah, I just, just enough. You know what I mean? I mean, I think that story alone like tells. If you had no chance to give this whole hour story we've talked, whatever, that alone tells you how much your mind was just solely focused on. Yeah, like that's why I call it like in the grip, like as far as, so like I don't ever forget that stuff. You know, like I may forget bits and pieces, but like I don't ever forget the insanity and, and, and the like being like in complete and utter despair, like the depression, um, like the insidiousness of like, the, like what I know now is the disease of addiction. I didn't really know it then, but like you're living in constant desperation. Yeah, like I'm desperate, man. Like to like the, in the literature, the the program that I work now it talks about like we were we we're reduced to the animalistic level of living. Like I always say, I didn't shit, shower, or shave unless I was high. You know what I mean? Like, and I remember feeling that point. Like, I, I think one of the first moments that I realized that, like, I'm sick is, like, my grandma, who was, like, I mean, like, I don't idolize anybody. Like, my grandma was, like, God to me. You know what I mean? Like, she passed away in 2008. And I remember my mom, she had cancer, and she died over a period of time. And I remember my mom, my mom went to every doctor's appointment with her and, like, watched her deteriorate and die. 
And I remember my mom telling me, I'll never forget it. I remember she was just crying. She goes, you know what? I feel more hopeless watching you go through what you're going through than I did watching my own mother die of terminal cancer. Man, that says a lot. You know what I mean? Like, and I, and I, I thought about it, and I only thought about it for about 20, 30 minutes until I got high, but I thought about it. Like, that's, that's some desperation on my point, which, I, which I'm an able-bodied human being like, that has the ability to stop. I didn't know how, you know? So, like, that was, like, two months before I, I got clean. But I remember finally getting to the point. I remember, like, I remember this part like it was yesterday. I remember I was, like, hopeless. Like, I wanted to die. I don't know that I wanted to die or I just wanted to feel, like, different. And, like, I'd, I had 100% accepted that, like, my life was completely unmanageable. Like, I feel like there's a, there's a big difference in, like, resignation, resignation and surrender. You know, it's like... I'll, I'll I'll use it like as like a, I know some people in my life that not like like I'm really good friends with but like I know people that are like have cheated on their spouses like multiple times mm-hmm. and like they get caught and they're like I'm sorry I won't ever do it again like that's resignation sorry you got caught yeah I'm I'm sorry mm-hmm. you know I'm done you know but like they didn't really surrender to the fact that like hey the problem is you you know and then they just go back out and do it again you know, just like every single time that I had quit using for whatever amount of time it was, I resigned to the idea that like, all right, this shit's kicking my ass. But like, I didn't ever like ever try to seek a solution on how to figure it out. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I remember, I remember like two, one week before I got clean, I remember I spent like some ungodly amount of, what I look at ungodly amount of money, you know, it was like two or three grand in a week, you know? And I remember running out, being 100% dope sick. And I remember calling my mom on the way home and like I was crying. She was like, she knew that something was up. She didn't know I was using needles, mind you. Mm -hmm. She obviously knew that her son went to rehab and he had a pill problem, but she didn't know that like I was- It was heroin. I was a junkie, you know? And so like I, I call her and I said, Mom, I need to go to rehab. She goes, is it bad? She goes, how bad is it? I was like, if I don't go to rehab like today or tomorrow, I'm going to die. Like 100%. Uh-huh. If I don't die from the drugs, I'm going to kill myself. And I remember she was, you know, immediately on the phone. She got somewhere. And so, like, we had, they went, I took my, like, my dad got home and we all went upstairs and she's like, how bad is it? And I remember I had a Folgers can that I hid like in the back. Like I put all like the used needles and stuff in there. And I had this Folgers, I had two giant Folgers cans completely full of, you know, spent needles. Cause I didn't want to throw them in the trash can. Yeah. And I remember like being kind of like an asshole about it. Like, cause I was like angry and, you know, upset. Dope like, sick. More like guilt and shame, like than anything. And like, I just put it off on everybody else. But yeah, I was dope sick. And then she's like, I remember her coming in. She's like, how bad is it? And I said, it's this bad. I dumped them all over my bed, you know? And she goes, like, she, uh, I don't know how to describe, you know, her look. You yeah. know what I mean? I mean, my jaw's on the floor while you're sitting here and talking. Yeah. So it's like, uh, at that point, you know, that was the, that was the day before we left. And we left on a Sunday, you know, and that was the Sunday before I went on the 23rd is the last day that I got high. 
the 23rd was supposed to be my clean date. Mm-hmm. But, and I think this is the only reason I went to rehab. So I don't, like, regret using on the 23rd. You know, I remember going downstairs into her bathroom, and she had left her pills in the, her bathrobe. And I remember stealing, like, five of them from her, and I got high at every gas station that we stopped at. And my dad knew I was getting high. Um, he's the He was the one that didn't coast on my bullshit. Like, he just completely... Like, dude, I don't want nothing to do with you. Like, you're not who I used to hunt and fish with. Like, kind of in a sense, like, I love you, but, man, get away from me, dude. Mm -hmm. And, like, I completely understand. And honestly, like, I I look at him as probably, like, my saving grace in a sense of, like, that was, like, the one relationship that, like, I wish that I had Mm -hmm. throughout that whole process, but I didn't. But I I look back at it, and it's, like, that tough love, that's just kind of, you know, where I got it. But that, you know... So, August twenty fourth, two thousand eleven, was the first day that I. The first day that I was clean, mm-hmm. you know, and August twenty third was the last day that I ever got high, you know. So I'm coming up on eleven years in in a week, week ten days. So. Incredible. Kind of, so, you know, so. in, in the process of recovery and like that's a, to me that's a more profound story. But like I think there's a time and a place to share like where I was, you know, and like the zero to hero. It's like, I don't, I don't look at mine as like a zero to hero story as much as I look at it as like, I do. (laughs) Hey, my life was good before. And I ran it into the ground to, to zero or negative, whatever you want to look at. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like a zero to hero, true zero to hero story is like someone getting dealt the hand that they had no control over. Mm Mm-hmm. Like I, uh, I get where I, you're coming from. I think that's the humility in you. But yeah, I, I dug the grave that I was in. You know what I mean? So, so let's talk about. We went through the war here. You get, you're getting clean. Your twenty fourth comes. Obviously, you're dope sick. But like, talk to me about the next thirty, sixty days, whatever, or urges you had. But also, what was the differentiator between that and the times you were eighteen days clean before you went off the rails? Like, why, why this time? I feel like that, that I, 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 I don't ever, you can hear me stutter because I don't really know how to describe it. I call it 100% the gift of desperation. Like, that's all I can the say. The fact that you were that low. I was just that low and like I wanted something so different that I was willing to do whatever it takes, mm-hmm. you know. And I, and I started doing the, I won't mention it just because of like, you know, anonymity, but I started doing a 12-step program and... I was sold, man. Like, whatever someone told me to do, you know what I mean? Like, it was told early on, like, if I use half of the energy that I did to get high into working a recovery program, then there's no way that I'll ever get high. Again. That's no joke. I mean, that's no joke from all. Yeah. We heard how low you were. I mean, look, your yeah. whole life was And the way that it. I found ways and means to get high, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, I hear so much and, like, you know, I go into the jail every couple of weeks and, and, and we take a meeting in and, like, you know, you hear so many, like, I, I can't get to a meeting. Like, dude, I would have walked five miles to get high. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've walked three or four miles to get high. Like, if I really, really want to get clean and have do something different, like, I really, really want it. Mm-hmm. You know, like, there. Who, who's, the, who's the guy? Is it Eric Thomas or whatever that talks about? You want it as bad as you want to breathe. Yeah, if you want success as bad as you want your next breath. Go out into the water. Hold me under. What do you want when you were down there? wanted to breathe yeah. you got to want whatever whatever it is you want out of life 
and in your situation it was to be clean. You yeah. wanted it truly as bad as you wanted to breathe. Yeah, and it's been a process, man. Like um, that same, like when I look at addiction, that same level of insidious, like that progression um, over time that was like unnoticeable, you know, to the point to where like I got clean. I can't, unless I break it down and sit and talk with you about it. Like I, in the moment though, I never once saw a defining moment of like, oh shit, now I'm shooting shooting pills mm-hmm. you know what i mean like there was never like any pivotal moment like when you're in it when i'm in it yeah you know it's always just one thing leads to another to another to another and i remember like when i got clean you know i went to it was suggested to do 90 meetings in 90 days i went to 105 in 90 days wow uh, you know i went to a meeting a day every single day for the first year of my recovery and um i recovered like you know that's like I can. I still introduce myself, not to anybody else, like in public who doesn't know that I get high. But like when I'm in in a meeting setting, or or I'm, I'll introduce myself as hi. I'm Jace. I'm an addict. You know what I mean? Because like, there's, it, there's a level of empathy there when someone who else is struggling hears that. You know what I mean? But it's also an affirmation. Like I can never ever forget where I came from. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The same reason that I can't have a drink. And I, you know, I can't smoke weed. You know, like, it's but, not like I look down on anybody else, but it's like... You know, it's for you. I know. As I, I know said earlier, you're super self-aware. Yeah. And so you, so, and it's the same reason that right now, I know from stories you've told from being a counseling and, and counseling others and everything else, other addicts will think that they can go have a drink. Yeah. And that's a lot of times the grip that gets them back yeah. in. I call it, I mean, we, we talk about it as like a reservation. You know, it's like... You know, and, like, I cleared my reservations early. But, like, I had some reservations of, like, I'll stay clean. But, like, if my mom dies, dude, there's no way I can stay clean through that. Mm-hmm. You know, now I'm to the point in my recovery. It's where, like, there's no circumstance that could happen in my life to where going and getting high is going to make me feel better. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's, like, you know, you, you share with some people, like, because I know people with 12 and 13 and 14 years that have had 13 and 14 years, they get complacent and they go back out and they get high. It's just scary. Like, when, it's scary when I to think, think about, about how close we are and how much, you know, how, just how close we are. Yeah. I, I mean, for you guys don't know this, I, I've had dreams before in the last couple of years, twice, and I've, I've, uh, had a dream where Jace was using again and I freaking woke up and I remember the first time, dude, it was the most vivid dream. You were, mm-hmm. you were fighting and, uh, I remember going to you and saying, dude, does it ever cross your mind? Like, will that ever happen? Because it, it's, it's, it's like gut-wrenching to even think about for those who love you. Yeah. And so for you, it, I know you don't, you've, you've accepted the fact that you're never going back. Yeah. But do you ever, at almost 11 years clean, does that ever – I mean, you still work a program. Yeah. Which I think is impressive. Do you know what I'm saying? Do you ever, do you ever think about it? I don't think about getting high. Like, I, I truly believe that – the desire to use has been lifted. You know, like I don't think, I don't obsess about using, um, but I think it's because recovery is so important in my life. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, and I still do those things. I can see how getting out of that could, um, I could selfishly with a lack of humility say, I'm never ever getting high again, right? And I can say with certainty, I can say selfishly with certainty, not even selfishly, but like 
with self-preservation that certainly I'm never going to get high again. Right. But I'm not going to stop doing the things that are working for me to ensure that I never get high again. Yeah, which is... You know what I mean? Like, so like... like you still go to programs, right? And you still go to Yeah, so it's like, meetings. for me, it's like, it really broke down. Uh, what working a program helped me do is like, I remember when I first got clean, just to tie into like, just the recovery part. Like when I first got clean, I remember people like picking up 30, 60, 90, six months, 18 months, a year clean. And I'm like, man, that's crazy. I'm sitting here with like, 24 days clean out of rehab and I remember saying to myself oh I want 60 days clean I want 90 days clean and it occurred to me that like I wasn't even grateful for the day that I had mm-hmm. you know what I mean and like I remember that was specifically the moment that I really started thinking about gratitude and like I'm huge we talk about this all the time I, I can't believe I got the goosebumps right now because you went to gratitude and literally after all this my what the topic I wanted to talk about with you is gratitude yeah we can talk about gratitude it, I mean it's unreal i mean before before we do it addict or not gratitude is like imperative to happiness uh yeah i mean i don't know how you could say it. i mean you say it differently but like that's the key yeah so come back to gratitude okay I, I'm, I'm to veer off real quick yeah when did you become a counselor at the jail so uh, eight months clean i was a counselor at the adolescent um, okay. facility um uh, helped my grandpa remodel houses for like eight months and then um Actually, a good friend of mine who was also in the program got me the job as a rehab technician where I drove, picked up the adolescents from the high schools and BCA, and I led groups, mm-hmm. you know, and through that process, I got RACAC certified, um, and then I got certified as a certified drug and alcohol counselor. Um, so two years there, and then I went to the prison and worked at the prison for two years. And then let's... Transition then into yeah. you're working at the prison. So now, dude, you're you're four or five years clean. Mm-hmm. And and we met. How what year was that? Twenty fifth was that twenty fourteen? So well, so you and I met probably twenty twelve, twenty thirteen at the gym. We were both just that was your new addiction. Yeah, that helped saying. you. Yeah, like um, so. I would say, what year did you start fit? Twenty sixteen. Well, December 2015 and then 2016 was my op- grand opening. So in December, in, in 2016 was when me and Jace paths cross again. Yeah. So I think this is a cool story because this is, you know, we told so much about the war. You went through this amazing recovery and now to get to where you are today. So it was, I started my first business, a uh, real business, a supplement store in 2016. And the second the account started going up, Instead of paying myself, the first thing I did was I said, I'm going to dump this back into marketing. And Jason and I had ran into each other again. I you were big on marketing, like social media you know, and this Gary and that. Gary Vayner. Gary Vee. Gary, Gary Vee, man, 100%. And so I remember I, people used to give you shit, but like. It worked. Yeah, so. It worked. <laughs> Hell with you. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, I, I was doing stuff and I, I was watching this stuff and I knew I needed to have better quality content. And do you remember how we crossed paths? Because I don't remember at this time. Man, I don't know. Like, I know that. So, like, as I started working at the prison, I had a buddy from Illinois. I started filming hunts. Like, I started filming my hunts. I had just kind of started. Yes. I filmed and you, a couple of weddings. And, and you had a knack for it. I mean, I, you probably won't say it, but you had a knack for it. You were yeah, pretty I mean, good I, at it I had, from a, the start. I had an eye, like, and I was really intrigued by the jigsaw puzzle of creating. Yeah. You know, the, I think at that point, too, I'd really began to, like, 
on a really small level understand like re- delayed gratification. And I think creating a video is like I looking back at it, yeah. it's like the biggest puzzle for me yeah. as far as like seeing something and then creating something, you know? But like, yeah, back to what you were saying. So, no, so that, then we run into each other and I'm like, I need better quality content. Somehow I pass across again. And I start paying Jace to do a few videos for me. And I'm like, this is, this is dope. Like it's, it was taken off. Facebook was different. Algorithm was different. You could reach people. Remember we put like 500 bucks behind an ad and it'd be like 50,000 views. Yeah. Now you put 500 bucks behind an ad and it's like 1800 views. Yeah. No comments. So I've seen really good results with it marketing wise. And so Jace was creating these videos for me one after another. I knew you had a wedding or two here and there. You wanted to do hunting passion project. You were getting ready to film your first TV show. And, um, Anyways, I remember super late nights we'd be filming because that's the only time we had to really film. It'd be super late at night. And I remember after we would sit there and talk for like hour, two hours afterwards. And it'd just be like, dude, Jace, you need to, you need to make the jump. You need to pull the parachute, which is the prison you're working at. And, and you need to make the jump and, and dive into this. And I, How long did we talk about it, dude? Oh, man. I just remember uh, months. I mean, probably like half a year. I was going to say six months. That's what I was going to say. Six months or so. Because I remember like I would, well, you know me. Overthinking son of a bitch. (laughs) Overthinking. Like I really like overanalyzed the fear, you know, and like I can let it manifest. You've gotten a lot better. Yeah, I've gotten a lot better. But like, especially then, it's like, I don't know, dude. Which that indecisiveness, which I'm going to do an episode. I and, and another thing started to cut you off. Another thing was too. It's like, man, for so long I thought like being a substance use counselor was my calling, but like, I was burnt out, dude. Mm-hmm. Like I was on a wing all by myself with like fifty two clients. It was starting to like I was starting to become really complacent in my recovery because like I was almost looking at it as like this is my recovery going to work at the prison, and that's not it. Yeah, and all. you were making crap money. Yeah, and you were like so. I don't remember where I was going. I but I just we fear, talked we're to, talking oh, about and, fear. And, and indecisiveness. Yeah, I, I I'm going to do a whole episode on indecisiveness at some point. But I'm a big believer that indecisiveness for most people will keep them stale and keep them from growing. Um, your indecisiveness on this. There's also a level though of being calculated and. I know we've had a lot of conversations where I totally understand why you're as indecisive as you are about some things because of the story that you went through and, and your life you lived. And so anyways, you did finally make the jump though. Yeah, It was really cool. I'm, and I'm going to share this for the sake of if you're out there and you're, you're trying to make the jump into business, cause this is a business podcast in a lot of ways. The way we structured it was cool. Yeah. Um, love it. I, I, I mean, I didn't like you outside of all like everything like obviously like i know that i put in the work but like i owe like a lot of the jump to you like 100 percent. because like and i'm not saying that's like two year horn i'm just being 100 percent real like i don't think 100 percent. if i wanted to be as humble as possible i don't think that personally i would have made the jump really like, a if i didn't have the opportunity that you gave me um but also like like the the support that was there you know what i mean like hey dude regardless of whether you work with me like dude like you're good at this like make the jump yeah like just do it like i don't think i honestly would have that's cool i'm proud of that that's cool i mean you were you were good at what you did you had a knack for what you did and so the way we structured it and i say this because like i said i think this speaks to 
just going through navigating those emotions, I came up with a base and I, Hey, I'll give you this base. And it almost matched your, what you were making. Yeah. And so then it was like, the rest is up to you, dude, no ceiling, You're your own boss. And I think when people go to get in business, it's funny. There's this like, I'm going all in mindset. And it's really a shitty mindset in a lot of ways yeah. when it's, I'm going to quit my job and go all into this new business. Cause that there's no failure. Failure's not an option. Failure's always an option. Oh yeah. Always. And so you need to be calculated about it, whether it's side hustle, um, you know, you're, you, you do it outside of work and bank a bunch of money. So you have your runway. Yeah, how long can you do that? So you get to the point where you no longer need your job. It, exactly. And then make the jump. Yeah. And that's what I think a lot of people need. So when you went to start, I mean, I don't know. I just, I don't know. We get beat a dead horse with it. I just think it's so wild. You would come off this massive recovery. That I don't think I got the gra- the gravity of it at the time. Yeah. And then you make this additional huge life decision. Yeah, it was, I look back at like, there's pivotal points in like in my life, like to where I like really changed my perspective. And like, that's obviously one of them. Mm-hmm. Cause like when I think of, I know so many people that just hate what they're doing. You know, and like I, I could feel that. I mean, like every day at the prison, like I would go, and I'm not knocking anybody that works at that prison, but every single day that I would go into that airlock, you'd be locked in there. Where the housing unit was, I've showed you. Mm-hmm. You had to walk about an eighth of a mile you every all- single day. Rain, sleet, snow. It you didn't... always talked about the walk and how you didn't want to make that walk anymore. Yeah. I remember that. And I it just like, but the thing about it was, is like you didn't want to make the walk because like you couldn't leave for lunch. Mm-hmm. We got 30 minutes for a lunch. It takes seven minutes to get down to the airlock. So seven minutes there, seven minutes back, that's 14 minutes. It takes five minutes to drive to old Taco Bell, and you're stuck with, what, four minutes to eat your lunch? you got a line at Taco Bell. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? So it's like I was miserable, you know? Mm-hmm. And, like, we always talk about this. Like, I mean, we have our goofy moments, but, like, we always have some sort of intellectual talk, like, with, with a, like a topic that's, like, growth, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, I always talk about how there's, like, such a fine line between contentment and complacency. And, like, how I feel like people can get caught up on, like, being content with where they're at. But, like, really it's just kind of a facade covering up, like, a 100% complacency. Yes. You know? Fear, it's, 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 it's fear described as practicality to not leave. Oh, yeah. You know, to, like to not make the jump because you sit there and you justify it and you tell yourself, well, I need this money, so I'm not going to make the jump. And I, I have, I got to have a job. And so you're, you're in your job and I hate my job, but I have to have it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to stay. Yeah. It's, so talking perspective though, and shifting back to gratitude, I, I think, like I said, it's imperative for happiness. And I think that without it, you're kind of in constant misery day right. to day. You don't have the perspective to sit here. And, like your whole entire war you went through gives you the perspective to be massively grateful. Absolutely. You know, like even like listening to your podcast and stuff is like one thing that like I, I take from you a lot too is you're a grateful dude. You know what I mean? Like sometimes people like will see the videos and, and whatever, but like, I work with you every single day. Mm-hmm. Like, and I know you're a grateful dude, mm-hmm. you know, like to the people that support you, to like your family. I mean, when you leave the office, you're not going out and going golfing and doing all this other shit. You come home and hang out with your family because mm-hmm. that's what you're grateful for. You know what I mean? So like your gratitude is displayed and like, that's how like, 
it doesn't go unnoticed, you know what I mean? Like, I think gratitude is so important. And I think it's, like, one of the main things that, like, because I think people can get clean and stay clean and be miserable. Like, dude, I know a lot of people in my life now, currently, that go through the day-to-day and they always got some shit going on, some problem. And, like, Mm -hmm. their recovery is really unattractive, Mm -hmm. you know? And, like, I don't know that I would, like, 100% tell them that, you know what I mean? But, like, to me... It's really easy to get caught up on, I'm a big believer, and I've shared this with you before, like self-pity is the one character defect that I have that drains myself of all positive energy. Mm-hmm. Like if, if I'm acting out on self-pity, there's no way I can be grateful. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So like I look at them as like their counterparts, so it's like I need to choose one. You know, do I want to have this poor me attitude? You know what I mean? But, like, I think it's all about, like, having people in your life and a network, too. Because mm-hmm. it's, like, how many times are we sitting in the office? We, we talked about our, our office situation is, like, the most bipolar situation ever like with me and Brandon. Yeah. But, like, how often is it, like, someone in a bad mood and, like, we, we, we gear towards, like, pulling the other person out of it. You yes. know what I mean? Because, like, and maybe that person's not in self-pity or whatever. But, like, I tie this even into, like, the business and stuff, too, like, like, the last three or four days, dude, like, I haven't really enjoyed editing. Mm-hmm. Like, I've been going through, like, a creative funk, kind of burn out just a little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, dude, I have these moments of clarity. Like, when I go to the gym, like, I don't, like, go to the gym and just work out. Go through the motions. Or go through the motions. Or, yeah. like, when I go out on my boat and I go fishing, like, I'm not just fishing. Yeah. Like, dude, I'm meditating. Yeah. You know, and I'm thinking about the shit. I'm thinking about the war story. I'm thinking about working at the prison, which there's nothing wrong with that. But, like, for me, there was everything wrong with it because I knew it wasn't what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. But, like, when I think about that stuff, like, I can't help but be grateful. 100%. You know what I mean? And even when, it, 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 like, when you're going through a really hard set during your workout. Or me, I like running a lot. So when I'm getting, like, miserable Gross. and I'm like, what? Gross. <laughs> when I get miserable and I'm like, man, I do not want to be doing this. Like, being mindful of the peace the peace and the the delayed gratification like the feeling after i mean yes yes whether yes. i like to run or not like the feeling after a run dude is pretty it's pretty awesome i look it's at like, it like a, the feeling after the i like the mountain bike ride yep you know on the days that i don't crash it feels pretty good <laughs> which is like not probably half <laughs> yeah coming to work with your whole entire back scarred up right yeah but Man, another one we're going to have to talk about for sure. You're coming on when we talk about adversity and embracing adversity because we can go on a whole other hour about that. But well, For sure. This is the longest speed bumps we've ever done. Dude, your story's kick ass. Thanks, Tom. Seriously, man. Um, all right. Lastly, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change a thing about it. People really? are like, people ask, you know, like, because I'll have these moments where I'm like, like early on, and this is me being honest, and I think it's important for people to get honest and like most people can't you know you can't spot self-deception you know what i mean Mm -hmm. but like a lot of people struggle with like envy and uh whether it's jealousy or or any type of resentment any type of resentment and i never had a, a resentment towards you but what it sparked for me early on was like i got caught up a little bit like whenever we first started hanging out of like man like if i wouldn't have gone through that shit like this may be where, like... Where could I, I wish, be? I, I wish I could have had my head on my shoulders at 23 years old. You know what I mean? Like, 
and like it, it, it's easy to look at it like that, but it's it's like I'm I was right where I needed to be, like when I needed to be. There. And without the gratitude for that, yeah, you you build internally and subconsciously you build that resentment against people. Hell yeah! And so that's probably why a lot of people or certain people. And part of the reason they come out of addiction, their recovery is miserable, is because they're sitting here pissed off at the world because look where they're at. Well, and that's like one of the biggest things too that's like recovery has taught me. And like through the process of like meeting you and hanging out with you, because you've been extremely instrumental. Like, I mean, obviously we're best friends outside of this, but like as far as like uh, whether it be business, real estate, you know, like when they talk about building a network, like you're probably like the number one person I go to on all of it. You know what I mean? And, like, even though sometimes I'm pretty indecisive, like, you know, I listen, you know. But, like, one of the things that, like, I learned early on is, like, humility. And it's, like, I learned early on, it's, like, man, like, he's a go-getter at 23, like, going balls to the walls. But I'm, like, I can never, like, the things that, like, going through the struggle for me, like, the, the mindset that it's taught me and, like, where I'm at now, and, like, humility I look at a proper as a like a proper sense of proportion pertaining to myself and how I view the world. So like when I go into say that the, again, like a proper sense of proportion pertaining to myself and how I view the world. So kind of like I try to walk through the world with like neither aggression nor fear. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So like when I walk into a jail at a meeting, um, I'm not any better than I'm not any less than anybody else. When I when I go to a uh, a boat race. You know, and and th- there's people driving these boats or shitty know, boats, expensive boats. Yeah, you know, like I, I, they're not better than me. I'm not better than anybody else. Like, dude, like really being in tune with like who you are, like as far as like humility, it's like that's been taught by the people I hang out with, and like that's mm-hmm. why I shared. And this is a lot, one of the last things I'll say, but that's why I share. Like, whenever I'm talking to addicts, you know, I'm Jason, I'm an addict, but. Like when I'm picking up a new client or, you know, like it's evident of how I've worked, live my life now that like, like you're talking about, like if you didn't know my backstory, mm-hmm. you don't know that I'm an addict. No clue. And that's how it's supposed to be. Yeah. You know what I mean? Through humility. And like there's, there's, if I go out and I say, hey, by the way, I'm an addict, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like unprovoked, like that's, to me, that's a lack of humility. Like mm-hmm. I'm immediately wanting you to feel sorry for me in some way, shape, or form. No, like, I just, I am who I am. I just happen to have a story mm-hmm. that comes with, like, I almost killed myself doing yeah. stupid shit. You know what I mean? So, like, I don't know how, I just went off on that ramble. But no, like, I, 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 it all ties into, like, it like, ties accepting, into gratitude. Accepting where you're at. And, like, I, I think it's huge, like, being grateful for where you're at. Like, because I think people can get caught up in comparing themselves with other people. Like, because, like, early on when we first, like, I got a, caught up in comparing, like, man, not in a sense of like I was jealous of where you were, but I got off like thinking, man, what if I wouldn't have gone through this shit and I could have been this focused at 23, that mm-hmm. type of shit. Like that stuff creates self-pity mm-hmm. and it's draining. And like, resentment it, is draining. Yeah, it's all resentment, draining. Resentment is like pissing on yourself. Yeah. You're, You're the, the only, only one, one that feels that, feels that shit. Yeah. You yeah. know, and it's like, dude, like you, we always talk about gratitude, like in the office and everything, but like it's so key, whether it's recovery, whether it's business, like and gratitude is kind of the backbone of every single thing that embracing adversity, having humility. Like gratitude is kind of the back, the the backbone of all of that. I think so. Humility. I I remember you saying it early on, and we've always 
uh, that's a conversation I don't think we've had a lot directly, but we've both been aware of it because I've always said the ego's the enemy. And the ego is what prevents a lot of people from getting as successful as they can be. Mm-hmm. I'm a big believer in that. Not wanting to ask for help. Walking into a room and thinking because you're a CEO of your media company or whatever that you're better than other people in there. Yeah. Or, hey, I'm an addict, so I'm lower than the, the janitor. Right. That mindset. So, yeah, man, this is good. We could go like all night right yeah. now. Um, Save it for another time. There's so much to take here, unpack, but I want to ask you this. If you had to boil it down to this, which this is uh, doesn't do it justice, but what's the best advice you could offer to somebody right now that's struggling with something? Like something or addiction or, or something? Let's go both because that's not too much. Struggling Addi- with addiction first. Addiction first is, um, man, I'm pretty hardcore in my response for that. It's like because you can't – I'm a firm believer and you can't help somebody that doesn't want help talked about it just now with ego mm-hmm. it's like when i was first getting into real estate it's like oh i want to do that but i don't want to do it that way mm-hmm. and you were telling me hey man just this is why don't you just go ahead and take the leap and do it you know and but like with with an addict it's like there's got to be a desire to do something different or you know so like ask for help but if you ask for help be willing to take the suggestion not turn away from the guy that called your bullshit that one Webster's talks about suggestion as a subtle command it's like if you're going to somebody that uh, has been through this struggle and is actively working a recovery program and they and they suggest something I don't think they're putting you in harm's way ever so cut the ego and do something different like you don't what you know got you in the situation that you're in right now yeah you know what I mean like that was told on me earlier like early early on in recovery as I was a big I know guy and, um, hey, you need to do this, you need to do this. I know. He goes, hey, man, hate to tell you this, but what you know got you here. <laughs> you know what I mean? What you know got you in the situation that you're in. If you want something different, then maybe you should shut up and listen to somebody else. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's blunt, it's to the point, but, like, if, there's, if you're struggling with addiction, it's, like, first and foremost, it's not going to get better if, if you continue to do the same shit over and over again. That's the definition of insanity. Mm-hmm. And quite honestly, an addiction I don't look at as insanity. I look at it as a level of hope, complete hopelessness because you're doing the same thing over and over again knowing damn well what the results are going to be, but you're choosing to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. That's hopelessness. You know what I mean? So it's like first there's got to be some desire to do something different and you've got to be willing. Like it was shared early on, you ain't got to change much. You just got to change everything. If you took half the energy yeah. you used to get high. Right. Well, I think the same shit applies to anybody struggling with anything but yeah like going into going into like if it's business or taking the leap it's it's like i don't know it's it's kind of one of those things it's just like there's got to be it's action i mean Mm -hmm. you got to have some sort of action whether it's you got to start yeah yeah so hell yeah well guys that's the episode i hope you enjoyed it jace dude thanks for getting vulnerable Thanks for telling all the real shit. This was awesome. I'm proud of your success. I'm proud of where you're at to call you a friend. So yeah. Thank you guys for listening. Please share the heck out of things until next time.